Well, good morning again, and we're glad that we can be together to worship. Uh, kids, going to Fusion, we're dismissing you a little early this morning. We're going to close with some songs. So kids, you're dismissed if you're headed over to Fusion today. Lots of kids. What a gift. As we start this morning, I want to share quick, three quick stories that have intersected my life in the last couple of months. Some of these are personal, um, some are not. Uh, but one, our first story, I was reading the New York Times this week uh, about a summer, last uh, summer, a fire last summer in California called the Dixie Fire. I don't know where I was last summer and why I didn't read about it then, uh, but the Dixie Fire was an absolutely enormous fire. And it started out pretty uh, regular, normal, not spreading too fast, but quickly became uh, the second largest fire ever, not just in California, but ever, burning over just, just under um, a million acres. Uh, and we're not talking about just burning down houses, but the Dixie Fire burned down entire towns, thousands of buildings, thousands of displaced residents. And in this article, they were talking to some of these residents, and, and the same phrase kept coming up from one resident to the next. We've lost everything. One guy said, uh, I tried to defend it to the last second. The fire just pushed me out. We have lost everything. Another resident said, we've lost everything. When you lose the entire town area, that's different than losing just a few homes. I mean, can you fathom such a devastating fire? A million acres. Then a couple weeks ago, I was uh, watching a documentary on a college football player, Chris Norton. He went to Luther College. It was his freshman year. Uh, he was second half kickoff. He was running down to tackle the guy with the ball, mistimed the tackle, dove into the guy with the ball, and his head hit the player's knee, and he was knocked unconscious. They immediately Airvacked him to the, the nearest hospital. The doctor came in to him and to his family and told them, you have a 3% chance to ever feel anything below your neck for the rest of your life. Now, it's a lot more of a, it's a positive documentary. It's a good documentary, but it was, I mean, can you imagine how in just an instant, your life just changed completely? And our third story here as we start, I've told you about my friend named Stan, who I met probably a couple months ago, called and got to know him. And as he was sharing about his life, which I've shared before, he had lost his girlfriend for, that he had been with for many decades of COVID. Um, and that kind of started the domino effect of just tragedy in his life. Without his girlfriend, he didn't have her income. He couldn't stay in his apartment. He was in a car accident, and which so he had no, no way to go anywhere. 
His health was getting worse. He wasn't able to work because of his health conditions. And so he had called and we had gotten to know him and we were helping him move out of this apartment to another place in Harrisburg. And he was a pretty mellow guy as we got to see him and talk to him that, that day that we were moving. And at the end of the morning, uh, as we were kind of finishing up at the apartment, finishing loading up the truck, I noticed that Stan hesitated just a little bit as he shut the door. And, you know, I'm not thinking much about it, but for whatever reason, I, I said, Stan, are you okay? And uh, I said, how long have you lived here, Stan? And he looked at me and he said, I've lived here for 25 years. And it just, it just dawned on me that Stan's leaving more than just an apartment. He's shutting the door on the way of life that he knew it. So we had a 25-minute drive down to Harrisburg, just him and I. It's like, what, what, do you, what do you say to Stan on that car ride? What do, you, what do you say to that family that just went home to their town and there's, there's nothing left? What do you say to Chris Norton at the hospital when you go and visit him and the doctors just told him, you're not moving again? What do you say in moments like this? What do you say to Linda Good? What do you say to John Good? I got a chance to see John. What do you, what do you say? How do you communicate in moments of extreme tragedy? There's lots of things you shouldn't say. Oh, things are going to turn around. You know what? Let's, let's make some lemonade out of this. It's like, no. There's no room to turn around. Like the, these are not positive situations. These aren't, these aren't situations where our attitude is, is the problem. But what, what do we say? And even maybe a little bit differently, how are we to, to react when we find ourselves in these types of situations? I think Peter this morning, as he's writing these five churches, he is teaching them about what we are to say, but even, even more so, how are we to believe and what are we to do when it feels like life is caving in on us? And so this morning, I want to look at what Peter tells us. And I think what Peter tells us, I think what Peter would tell, would tell Stan and John and Linda and what he would have told these families from the fires, I think he would have said that Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's got to be your cornerstone. Like he is all that we have. And so this morning, I wanna see that. I wanna look deeper into this message that Peter gives to these five churches because it is, it is the message for us that Jesus is our cornerstone. And then what Peter does is he's gonna, he's gonna seek to persuade them that, they, that Jesus is the superior cornerstone, that there is no better foundation for your life. So let's read verses four through eight, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll start working through the text. Verse four, chapter two. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, 
acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray. Father, we pray for these families that are probably still grappling with life, the new life that they have in front of them with the fire destroying everything they know. And we pray for this football player, Chris, and we pray for Stan, and we pray for Linda. We pray for ourselves. We may not be going through extreme tragedy, but God, I pray for all of us that we would see the beauty and the worth and the value of having you be our firm cornerstone today. And so help us, God, as we read this letter that Peter wrote many years ago to these churches. God, I pray that you give us the mind to understand how this works for us today, how we can make you our cornerstone, how we can live in the benefits of you being our cornerstone. And so God, we pray that you help us as we study and as we think and as we apply, give us understanding, give us courage to apply, speak to our hearts and change our lives because of the truth of who you are for us in Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. And so God, help us to focus these next few moments that we might hear from you. It's in the name of your son we pray, amen. If you've heard some of my sermons over the years, I usually talk, I'm pretty self-deprecating in my building skills. Uh, I'm not the handiest guy in the room. That might be an understatement. I don't do really well with electricity or plumbing or fixing things, but I know who to call. Usually that's Pastor Jonathan. Um, but I'm not handy, but this week I've been studying cornerstones and I feel like I'm ready to build a house. Now I have been thinking all about these cornerstones. The only problem being, we don't use them anymore, so it's not typically used for a foundation, but the cornerstone is the metaphor of the passage. Verse six to me is the heart. It is the gem of this entire passage. Behold, it's quoting Isaiah. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him. That cornerstone is a person. It's a he. It is the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, will not be put to shame. To me, this is the key to the passage. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, we don't use cornerstones today. If you see a cornerstone, it's usually a commemorative. It's a plaque uh, that's put just as decoration. But back in ancient practices, the cornerstone was that first corner, literally cornerstone laid. Um, and this was, you would spend the most time placing this stone because the dimensions and the placement of this one stone would direct and guide the entire course for building the house on the cornerstone. And so all the dimensions were projected off of this cornerstone. So it was precisely cut. It wasn't just the first stone that you laid, but it was the most precisely cut stone. Depending on the size or the shape of your house, 
that depended upon the size and the shape of your cornerstone. And so I was reading about flat iron-shaped houses. Those would have a different, a different style, different shape of a cornerstone compared to a rectangle house. But based on the cornerstone, if the cornerstone was true, the house would be true as well. And so it wasn't just the, the most perfectly cut stone. It wasn't just the first stone laid, but the cornerstone and you can kind of see it in the picture, was the toughest and the strongest and the largest stone. Because if the, if the cornerstone had a lack of integrity, integrity, if it had structural flaws, if it crumbled in any way, the entire house would be compromised. So the, the cornerstone was the one stone that everything else depended on. And so for all these reasons, it's the largest, it's the strongest, it's the first, it's the one that was the most precisely cut. Because of all of these reasons, it was the most precious of the stones. It was the one that cost the most, the one that you cared the most about because it was the key to your entire project. So we take that background this, this understanding of the cornerstone, and it gives us a picture of what does it mean for Jesus to be the cornerstone. Okay, it means that he is the one that we trust. He is the reason. He is the foundation for every breath that we have and everything that we do in our entire lives. He is that foundation. And so this is what I told, I told to Stan as we were driving. I said, all these other cornerstones, all these other foundations, they have crumbled and you have, you have a, a pile of, of rubble. And it is, it's time to rebuild because all these other cornerstones have failed. There is one cornerstone, there's one foundation that you can put your trust and your faith in that's not gonna fail you. Like your health has and like your, your social situation and all these things that have happened to you, they, they just keep failing you. And as I was telling Stan, he said, well, how, how do I do that? You know, you think of a cornerstone, you've got one try to get it right. You know, you got to get it right now. But it was like, no, Stan, you can, you can do that right now. And what does Peter tell us? How do we make this person, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, chosen and precious. Look at verse six, whoever believes in him. I mean, this is, this is the gospel. I told Stan, it's not knowing facts about the cornerstone. We are really good. We know all the facts about the cornerstone, but it's not it's not knowing the measurements of the cornerstone. Jesus, it's not knowing all the references about Jesus. If I had a big, big boulder up here, okay? Belief is not just understanding the dimensions of this big boulder. I can understand everything about it, where it came from, its size, it, the depth, the, the weight. I can understand every detail about this big boulder, but yet I have not believed in it. What does it mean to believe in the cornerstone in Jesus? I think this metaphor really helps us. The word that some translations will use is the word trust. We put our trust in the cornerstone. In other words, you are a brick and you put your entire self, 
everything that you're made up of, and you put it on top of that cornerstone. All of your trust is in the one cornerstone. It determines your direction. It determines your disposition. It determines everything about you because you have put your full weight upon it. It's not that you just know about it, but you've said, I know about it to the point that I am willing to put all my trust on it. I think of what we used to do uh, with our student ministry, these low robes course. I don't know if you've ever done a low robes course. They're pretty miserable in every way uh, where you get together and you join hands and there's human knots and you're untangling yourself or you're walking on planks across a certain area. Well, one of the first exercises, and there's probably some usefulness out of those. I just don't enjoy them. One of the first exercises that we would always do would be the trust fault. You climb up on a picnic table and your coworkers or your youth group are kind of back behind the picnic table and they interlock arms. Yeah, this is a bad idea in every way. And you're supposed to fall backwards into the loving arms of your youth group or the people you work with. But this is a really good picture of what Peter is saying. This is how you make Jesus your cornerstone. You trust him and you take yourself and you put him on the cornerstone. You fall off the picnic table. You can talk about your trust of the people that are waiting for you. You can understand it. They can explain what you're supposed to do. But until you fall, you shift your center of gravity and you fall into those arms, you haven't done anything. And what Peter is saying is, if you want Jesus to be your foundation, to guide your life, you put your faith in him for forgiveness, that the cornerstone went to the cross, for life and purpose and help, walking through hard things, for death, that he is the cornerstone. And what happens is, for some of us, we, we recognize that that, that, is, that is where life begins, and we, we we're on the cornerstone, but the question for us is what, what is our functional cornerstones? Like if we are standing on the boulder, we're standing on the rock of Christ, what is it that you turn to? The functional cornerstone of your life, the picnic table where you say, I, though I know Jesus is my foundation, I depend on this instead of Christ. And so what Peter, what Peter is saying is, he's saying, life begins. Life begins when you put your faith in Jesus, the cornerstone, that the cornerstone went to the cross. And we don't have to have tragedy to do that. You know, the situations I shared, you may not relate to them, but the reality is, is that you, you can do that at any point. And what Peter does next and what really this passage is all about is he, he is trying to convince that the, these people, that the benefits of Jesus being the, the cornerstone far outweighs any other functional cornerstone that you can have in your life. He is saying there are so many perks, so many advantages, so many blessings. When, when you, as a brick, plant yourself on Jesus, the cornerstone, your life is so much better off in every way than any other cornerstone that you could depend on. And so what Peter does is he's going to list out five, five different benefits. And I want to see these benefits and I want to persuade you that the next time you turn to something else to hold you up in a struggle, 
The next time you go somewhere else to, to, to find security or help, that you would remember Peter who's saying, he's screaming, Jesus is the superior cornerstone. And so the five, the five benefits that we're gonna walk through, he's, that we get access and we get life and community and purpose and security. So go back to verse four with me. As you come to him. Okay, Peter is writing to believers. Okay, so he's not saying as you come to him, as in you come to Jesus in faith to make him your cornerstone, which would be salvation. I think what Peter's doing, he's, he's assuming you've already done that. You've already said, I will stand on Jesus, my cornerstone. But he's saying as you come to him, or another translation, as you currently and continually are coming to him. And this is what's so beautiful about what Peter's doing. He's kind of breaking down the cornerstone metaphor. When you use a cornerstone in building and you start to lay bricks on it, you, you better set it up just right because you're not going backwards. But what Peter is saying, he's saying, this goes beyond the cornerstone. This goes beyond the cornerstone metaphor. Because when Jesus is the cornerstone, you have access to him, you can come to him, you can run to him, you can hear from him, you can talk to him, because you are able, even though you are being built on him, to come to him as the cornerstone. I mean, what, what a gift. What a gift that though we're built on him, we can come to him. And this fits in with what we said last week. You remember last week? How do we grow? The milk of the word, the gospel. And we have access through growth because through the word we get the gospel and through the gospel we get Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. And so what he's saying here is you need to keep coming to him. You're able to keep coming to him. Jesus says it all the time. Come to me. Come to me. You're exhausted and you're discouraged and you're hungry. Come on, just come to me. Come to me. He's saying you have access to come to me with whatever is going on in your life. I mean, what a benefit that we can go to the Father through Jesus, our cornerstone, that we just have access to him. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But no other cornerstone that you have in your life, your family or your friends or your job or your kids or, or a way of living, like none of those give you that access to the Father that Jesus, the cornerstone, does. It's not just that we have access, that we are even able to follow that command that Peter gives us. And the second thing is we get life. Look at verse four again. As you come to him, this is a parenthesis here, a living stone. Who are we coming to? A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. This is Jesus. Jesus is the living stone. And some have rejected him. Many reject him. See him seeing him as the foundation of, and the cornerstone of their life, people reject him and he's saying, that's not you. But who are you when you come to him as the cornerstone? What, verse five? You yourselves are like living stones. Again, this is supernatural. 
When we make Jesus our cornerstone and put our trust and faith in him and nothing else, we go from being boring, lifeless bricks to living stones, like new life. What kind of life is he talking about? Spiritual life, eternal life. We go from being nothing, nothing rocks, rocks that don't do anything. I don't know if you ever had a pet rock. Remember that from the 70s? I don't know. I heard, I read about it. Pet rocks, worst idea ever. Actually, it's a really good idea, okay? Guy sitting in a bar talking to these people about, they're complaining about their pets, and he's like, I've got an idea. Pet rock, easiest pet ever. And so he did. He collected some stones. He wrote a 32-page manual. He put them in a cardboard box, put holes in the box, started selling them. A million dollars later, I'm starting that business back. Rocks aren't living. They don't, they don't do anything. But when Christ is our cornerstone, we go from being rocks to living stones. Romans 8, 11. I mean, this passage, we could, we could talk about this for a long time. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In Christ, through the spirit, we get the resurrection life that Jesus gets. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the same spirit that indwells us. This is an advantage, a perk of being on Jesus the cornerstone. We have life, eternal life, vibrant spiritual life through the ministry of the Spirit. I mean, what a gift. Third, we get community. Verse five. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So the metaphor starts to change, and we'll talk more about this next week. You're not just, you're not just living bricks. You're not just, you don't just have this newfound hope because of Jesus, but now he starts to say, actually, I want you to step back a little bit, and I want you to look at what this, what this illustration is building. What is the cornerstone building? And he says, brick by bit, brick, person by person, you are being built up into the temple, the spiritual house. This is the temple. And so he's saying, this is a new advantage and perk and benefit, perk, perk of being on the cornerstone of Jesus. He's saying, you, you're used to going to the temple. Like you go to Jerusalem or you go to your local temple and you offer sacrifices, the priest does it for you. And, and to, to hear from God, you go through these really, these really rigid set of rules on how to do it. And what, and what Peter is saying, he's saying, that's all changing. That's all changing. You have now become the temple yourselves. The temple is not a building. The temple is the community of the bricks coming together. And so he's painting this, this really rich doctrine of the church, of why we need the church and what we get from the church. And he's like, when, when bricks come, when someone comes to faith in Christ, they are added to the family of God, the church. And this is a, this is a blessing and we have bricks underneath us that hold us up, that care for us, that walk for us. We've got bricks above us that teach us and lead us. But Jesus is saying, 
or Peter is saying with Jesus as the cornerstone, I'm, I'm doing something new and different with, with how you worship me and how you, re, and how you work with our world. Fourth, you get purpose. Look at verse five again, the second half. To be, so the, the purpose of being on the cornerstone, the, the reason being built on the cornerstone is that we would be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're not just part, we're not just person by person where the, where the presence of God is now through the work of the Holy Spirit, but that we have a new, we have a new role, that we are priests, you are priests today that you don't need anybody to go to God. In the Old Testament, the priest would be the mediator between people and God. They'd offer sacrifices. They'd go and pray and they'd hear about God's will and they would lead the people because the people couldn't just come to God. And what Peter is saying is that that's no more. You need, you need no one, no one to go to God. You are the priest. You, and this is what I was referring to earlier, you, you can have access to God. You can have access. You don't need a pastor. You don't need, any, you don't need anyone. You have access to him. But what does he take specifically is the purpose of you being a priest, that you would offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And that's kind of an interesting little phrase. Because my, my first, my, I mean, this is like the, the application of the passage. Like, if we were put on the cornerstone as the, with the purpose of being priests and with the purpose of making spiritual sacrifices, the question, it has to be like, how do we do that? It's not a physical sacrifice. We're not bringing animals to church. Like, what does it mean that we make a spiritual sacrifice to the Father through the cornerstone of Christ, our foundation? a good question. There's a bunch of things, but let's just think of one. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. What is a spiritual sacrifice? Well, what does God's word tell us? Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we could talk a lot about the spiritual sacrifice of not neglecting to do good, sharing what you have. Those are sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. But let's just look at the one. Offer up sacrifices of praise to God, the fruit of your lips that acknowledge his name. What's the spiritual sacrifice? What, what, what should we be doing if we're on the foundation and the, the cornerstone of Jesus? We should be acknowledging him with our mouths, praising him for the cornerstone that we stand upon and not any other cornerstone that has failed us. I think of my favorite Psalm, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 40, one through three. I waited patiently for the Lord, David says. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I mean, that's what we're talking about. God is 
picked us up out of the pit, out of the miry bog, and he has set us on the, on the cornerstone of Jesus. But what is, what is the very natural reaction of David when this happens? He put a new song in my mouth, the song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I mean, what does David do? Very naturally, he sings Look at where I was. Look what was my look what my foundation and cornerstone was, and now I'm on a rock. And he's he is singing a new song, and people are hearing. And so for us, it ha- this has to be the application. What song are we singing? What people see your gratitude for what Jesus has done in your life to put put you on His cornerstone? May we be a grateful and worshipful, loudly praising him for what he's done. And I think the the implication is, is that we're still thankful for it. I mean, to praise, to praise means you feel something. This isn't just something you mechanically do. To praise means you are in love and you're happy and you're grateful. And so the application is, Pray that your heart would be grateful that you may sing songs of gratitude over what the Father has done by putting putting you on the stone of Jesus. And so that may be us, church. But the last one, the last benefit of having Jesus be your cornerstone, verse six, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. When Jesus is your cornerstone, when he's your foundation, when you trust him and nothing else for forgiveness and life and purpose and help, we will not be put to shame. You will not be left standing alone with nothing to grab onto. I had a chance to share this with John Good this week. that this was the sermon I was studying for. And that when I said, John, Jesus is your cornerstone. You have nothing to fear, nothing to fear. Your life may be going away right before you. Everything you know and love may be disappearing. But Jesus, the cornerstone, you will not be put to shame. All these other things will fail you. Your body will fail you. Jesus never will. And as sad as it was, I mean, as, as sad as it was to know that nothing can chip away Jesus, nothing is comforting. And so for us this morning, I, I just wanna, I wanna ask you, have, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your cornerstone? Like, do you know that you are built on him? And I'm not saying it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're not sad when things happen or when things hurt or things are taken away, but I'm saying, do you know that through faith, your life is founded on Jesus alone? And for those of us that, are, that know that, may we take advantage of the benefits. Gratefulness over what he's done for us as David sings in Psalm 40. Accessing him. Resting in the life that he's given us. 
And so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna just sing some songs and they're tough songs to sing in that it doesn't always feel like they're true. But we pray these songs as we sing these songs that they may become more true in our lives as we leave this place this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for today and we're thankful that you sent Jesus to be our cornerstone and that the cornerstone went to the cross and that we can trust him for forgiveness and life. And we are so blessed God, I pray that as we close now with some worship and communion, God, I pray that we would consider what we depend on outside of you. And so help us, God, as we sing these songs about trusting you, I pray that you just help us to trust you. Because we don't. We don't. We, we, we like to, to grab hold of things that we love. But God, I pray that you'd convict us, you'd encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that we would be people founded on you, the cornerstone, singing praises to you, that many people would come to know who you are through our praise and worship of you. It's in the name of your son we pray, amen.